Let us pray together. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Amen. Back in the 90s when we were English teachers in China, one of the very favorite times of each year for us was Christmas. In China, there was no mad shopping frenzy. There were no enticements and a million ads trying to get us to buy one more thing. It was quite simply in that dark city, the chance at the coldest time of the year to treasure again the story of Jesus' birth, God's radiant yes to our world and to you and me. And during those years, one of our special joys was to be able to share the story of Jesus' birth with our students, and Larry and Don had the joy to do that with us when we overlapped in China with them. And there was one year when uh, Danette uh, worked with one of her very favorite classes to put on the Christmas story as a play. And in my humble opinion, it was the best pageant ever, <laughs> at least in Beijing. And we didn't have a lot of competition for Christmas pageants in Beijing, but it was a good one. And another time I had the chance to give a public lecture about the story of Christmas, and uh, several hundred students came to hear it. You know, we've heard the Christmas story so many times that sometimes we have trouble hearing it anymore. And it's a very special experience to be able to share this story with students, young people who have never heard this story ever before. And I loved seeing their eyes grow wider <laughs> wider as I shared it with them. How Mary was a peasant woman, probably just four or five years younger than them. How she was engaged but not yet married. How she was a virgin and yet pregnant. Eyes got really wide then. And how astonished she was to be chosen of all people to bear, to give birth to the Son of God. And as I told this story, I loved seeing our students torn between Two emotions, two feelings, feeling that this story was completely crazy and feeling like it was also completely compelling. And whether in China back in the 1990s or here in Lancaster after all the violence that we have witnessed this past week and these past weeks, 
here we are again invited to ponder again what this story tells us about God. It's the story of God stepping over all of our human no's. No to life. No to love. No to peace. Our tragic no to God's image in one another. And that's what... It's the rejection of the image of God in someone else that causes the violence in our world. God steps over all of these no's and makes a brand new future possible. And in the coming of this vulnerable child, we begin to discover that every one of God's promises is a yes. One of the things that we'd often highlight with our Chinese students is that in the Bible we discover God's surprising habit, propensity, for choosing not those at the center of power and privilege, but instead those who seem marginal, unprepared, and powerless. You know, God could have selected the high and mighty and proud Egyptians to be God's chosen people. But instead, God chooses a band of Jewish slaves at the very bottom of the human pile. God could have chosen one of the seven older sons of Jesse to be the new king of Israel, but chooses instead Jesse's eighth and forgotten son. As God tells David today, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be the prince over all my people. And then there's God's habit of working again and again through barren women. Could God have chosen a less likely candidate to be the mother of our faith and the mother of Isaac than the 90-year-old Sarah? Incredible. Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and Elizabeth also then give miraculously give birth to children who become key actors in God's salvation story. Joseph, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel, and John the Baptist are all their children. And then God chooses Mary to bear the long-expected Jesus. Inconceivable. So friends, why does God seem to specialize in working through the weak? working through the unworthy, working through the little ones, the anawim in Hebrew of our world. Why does God so often choose those at the bottom, at the margin, at the edge? Well, dear friends, who has the most space 
in their lives for God. The self-sufficient or the poor in spirit? Who will be the most spiritually fertile? Those who are completely sure of themselves or those who freely embrace their need for God? Our Gospel reading today opens with the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary in Nazareth. Mary is a marginal woman in a marginal village. And scholars tell us that Nazareth was probably only maybe twice the size of our congregation. She's already engaged which tells us she's around 14. And she's already, though she's just 14, well acquainted with the facts of life. Because when Gabriel tells her that she'll soon conceive a child, she asks, how shall I ever become pregnant if I do not know a man? That's a pretty good question. How is this going to happen? Because the thought of a before-wedlock pregnancy has to be completely terrifying to Mary. How long is it going to take for the village gossips to notice her growing belly? Will anyone in town believe that this child has come by the Holy Spirit? Would you? And when Joseph hears, Joseph, will he have her stoned to death as the law requires of an unmarried woman found to be pregnant? Notice that everything in our story today, everything that Gabriel says is in the future tense. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Dear friends, who is needed for these verbs to shift from the future tense to the present? Mary. And what is needed, dear friends? Her consent. Her yes to God. Because here in this story, Mary is no passive participant in these divine events. Love, God's love, always invites us, never forces or coerces us to do anything. God is inviting, not compelling, Mary to take her special part in God's salvation story. Just as God is inviting us to take our place as well. And the possibility that Mary will say no to God is very real. Just as it's very real and possible for each of us. 
And so there has to be a lot of joy and rejoicing in heaven when Mary finally gives her yes to God. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Modern translation, here I am, God, come on in. Make my body your home. What awesome hospitality. The Word becomes flesh in Mary's flesh. Her yes to God makes Jesus possible. And so does ours as well. You know, in this season before Christmas, there's a powerful temptation for all of us to focus sentimentally on a sweet baby Jesus who is just adorable and asks absolutely nothing of us. But God needs people who will offer their lives as spaces where Jesus can be born. And that demands a lot of us. God needs people who are making room for God's life in our lives. God needs East Chestnut to be a community where Jesus is coming to life in each of us with intentionality and sustained effort. Friends, in the days to come, how can your life be the place where Christ is born yet again? Maybe by extending hospitality or generosity to someone in need. Maybe by caroling this afternoon and bringing light to the streets of our city. Maybe by finally reconciling with you-know-who. Maybe welcoming somebody into God's circle of love. Maybe making new room in your life for the life of God. Friends, it was into the space created by Mary's hospitality to God that Jesus was born. It was in her vulnerable yes to God that she became a central participant in God's plan to save and to heal all of creation. And God invites her answer to become our answer as well. Here we are, Lord. Come on in. Come into our hearts. Come into our bodies. Come into our families. Come into our homes. Come into this city. Come into this world. Be born in us today.
Amen.